You're listening to KDNK's Public Affairs Program for Land's Sake. I'm your host, Bill Kite, and today our guest is radio personality Gabe Chinoweth. Welcome, Gabe. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Hey, Bill. How's it going? Well, it's going great because... uh, we're reversing the roles here. Usually, <laughs> you're the one asking me questions on KMTS Community Connections, and it's just a pleasure to have you here because uh, we, we've known each other for years, and I really respect uh, your professionalism and how you, how you run oh. KMTS. So, Well, as um, my old high school chemistry teacher once told me, flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> Do you actually remember first time we met? Actually, I'm not sure which came first. I remember two two instances. Help my memory. It's getting kind of fuzzy anymore. The first time, I, I think, I was a young teenager, and um, I was at probably the Springs Theater by that point uh, with my mom, and you were there, and I remember your daughter was there. And I remember thinking that, I forget, is she a year or two younger than I am, did you tell me? And I remember thinking yep. that... She was rather attractive at the yeah. time, anyway, <laughs> yes. for, you know, 12, 13-year-old Gabe. Yep, that was, uh, that was a long time <laughs> ago, wasn't it? The next one is when you ran me down um, to catch me because I had uh, left, dropped my mom off at work, and I had her shoes in the car still. Yeah. Do you remember that? No, I don't remember you know, that one yeah. at all. <laughs> you ran all the way down the down Melray Road and oh. stopped me at the stoplight, and then I went around the block. And yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to know other people who who can help you remember things that you don't remember. That's for sure. You know, happens more and more frequently the older I get. Yeah, I do. just welcome to the club, uh, Gabe. How did you first get involved in radio? I think that's oh, an interesting thing to talk about for sure. Uh, well, the interest came from being a listener. Um, growing up here, my mom, uh, at least when I was a kid. I was listening to uh, KGLN, which in the 70s and um, early 80s was the top 40 radio. And um, just always liked the announcers. They made me laugh. They seemed to be having fun. They always had information. They always knew what was going on. And years go by and, and you know, maybe listen to other radio stations from time to time. I, uh, as a teenager, probably listened more to what local folks would would remember as QFM. And my mother, when I was young, worked in the restaurant at the Hotel Denver. Okay. Um, Which, uh, I don't think it had a name. I think it was just the the restaurant there. Maybe there was a a name for it. Um, Generally, I think, where the brew pub is now. But you get the idea. Anyway. That was where the original KMTS studio was. And um, Alan Bell at the time, who was the general manager and all the people from the radio station, because the restaurant was right there, you know, they were there frequently. And so uh, Alan kind of got to know my mom. And so when I got older and I was of the age that I could actually get a job, uh, she made the introduction between the two of us and it was a couple of years later, actually uh, just a couple of days after I turned 16 that he called and he said, you know, we've got an opening and, um, the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> and there, as you can imagine, there are a thousand stories, uh, between, <laughs> between point A and point B 
over the last 35 years. We'll um, get to a few of those, I'm okay. sure, before the show's over with. Well, one other contextual story. Uh, I was actually replacing someone, uh, and, and, and I believe I, I got to... She trained me for a couple evenings uh, before uh, she moved on to whatever the next job was. I don't remember. The, uh, the punchline of this story is fast forward 35 years to 2023... And um, what's it been, 10, 15 years that Jenny Cutright has been the uh, public information officer for the Carbondale Fire Department? Right. So uh, we exchange emails all the time, you know, certainly know the name. I'm reading something in the newspaper and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> Je- Jenny, Je- no. So Jenny Cutright is whose person, I took her place at KMTS. She's the one that trained me, and we've been communicating all these years, and I didn't realize. That was So I I sent her an email, and she's like, well, I figured you'd figure it out eventually. (laughs) I like her. She's great. She really is. (laughs) She does a great job. She really does. Uh, Yeah, I guess, of of course you would know her because you had a similar job with the Forest Service. Exactly. uh, We've done a lot of things together, fires and stuff like Mm -hmm. that for sure. I know personally that you have other interests uh, rather than just radio, as such as weather. And the connection here, people are <laughs> g- kind of wondering, what does this have to do with land, uh, the, 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 the program that, that you're supposed to I do? I wondered right? how you were going to tie that in. And uh, I, I have to tell you first, as a kind of disclaimer, my dad did what you did for 30 years. I don't know, you still... You still the weather station observer? Yep, yep. Uh-huh. So he did the same thing when he worked in a power plant in New Mexico. So I know a little bit about citizen weather observations. And it really is quite fascinating. Most people don't even know that, you know, ordinary citizens mm-hmm. take weather observations. And they're important to scientists to determine climate and climate change. So that's how the connection is, in case people out there in Radio Land are wondering. Okay. Uh, connection with land. And plus, you, you come from a family that's got ties to the land as well sure um one of those at a time so the the whole weather station thing right actually kgln was where the official weather station was it goes back to you can find records going back to the the, uh, 1950 i think uh, when kgln went on the air and so when uh the company that owns kmts bought kgln in 1988 um we inherited that weather station. And so in May of 1988, that became part of my job. And I was always interested in it because I was always a little bit of a science nerd. Um, In high school, I really connected with uh, one of my teachers uh, that was the biology teacher. And um, he, uh, and so I was just always interested in, and when you, so when you measure the snowfall and stuff like that, you know, you got to measure and you read the litmus and all that. Right. And I'm not sure that everybody goes to that extent, but I've always found it interesting. Well, yeah, I have too for the obvious personal reasons. Yeah. So that's yeah. we have something in common yet, yeah. uh, among other things. And the family. You asked about the family. Uh, how much time do you have? <laughs> we're only 10 minutes in, so we're <laughs> okay. Good. Okay. Um, so this is actually one of my favorite subjects because it's I feel like it's something uh, to be proud of. So we start on my my uh, mom's side of the family. Um, my mom's parents, my mom's grandparents, uh, came to Colorado from the old country. Uh, 
uh, both settled in um, Aguilar, Trinidad, that area. Okay. Um, my grandma was born in Delagua. And uh, my, my grandpa, my mom's dad, talks about he was, I think, um, six. He was young at the time of the Ludlow Massacre. Okay. But uh, obviously it was discussed, right? And so he remembers that. He was always fascinated with Ludlow. And then um, the story is grandma's dad owned a liquor store in Trinidad that that was burned down because um, grandma's dad was in favor of the unions. Okay. And so they they burned his liquor store down. Believe it or not, turn of the century, turn of the previous century, he actually had insurance. Wow. Took the money from that and bought um, the uh, property on uh, Silt Mesa on what is now known as Bandetti Lane. Okay. Right? Um, and so that's that's my mom's parents. Um, my dad, my dad's dad, um, that the, the Chenoweth family actually, uh, they uh, came over in the 17th century, um, or, or 18th century, I should say, so yeah. 1700s. Okay. And they, they lived, at, you know, kind of moved east and lived in Tennessee, and Grandpa was born in Missouri. And um, when he was 14, he left home. He and his brothers followed, I think, the wheat harvest. I think they, they ended up in Michigan for a while and eventually made their way to Colorado. The story is uh, Grandpa was staying in Jasper Fonier's bunkhouse on Divide Creek, and some way or another, which I've never really heard, he and Grandma got together, and the rest, as they say, yeah. is uh, is history. My dad's mom... Um, so my grandma was named after her aunt Lottie Clavel, uh, which most people would know as Lottie Arbany. Okay. Right. Um, who, you know, they, they homesteaded in, uh, Woody Creek, obviously. And, um, you know, a lot of their graves are some in basalt, some in Aspen. Um, right. and they came here and they, I believe they were miners. Okay. Um, and, uh, as was, uh, John, uh, Bandetti. Uh, of course, uh, you know, he, I believe, actually, well, he had a couple uh, mining claims, actually. And I believe the mining claim that led to the coal seam fire may have somewhere way back have been one of my great-grandfather's claims. Wow. So there, yeah. there's a lot of connections then yeah. to the land. And so you fast forward 150 years, and um, my grandparents lived on... Uh, well, they had the whole ranch, obviously, at one time. And then uh, Grandpa, my dad wasn't interested in farming. Right. And so Grandpa sold the uh, majority of the, the farm to a, a guy named Carl Short, um, but kept two acres for himself, which uh, is still in the family. And a couple, you know, priority uh, 136, I think, uh, water shares. <laughs> Okay. Which you can explain to people what that means. We don't have time <laughs> <Okay>. today. <laughs> Basically, that means there are only 135 people that have a higher priority on the water. The only downside is it's out of Elk Creek, which it still is. It's not out of the Colorado River or anything like that. But yeah. Well, it all gets there eventually. It's interesting, um, you know, dinner party discussion. <laughs> <laughs> right. I have so 
I, I call it an occupational hazard. You ask me, you say good morning, and you can't get me to shut up. Three hours later, I'm still telling stories. That's why you're probably home. the same one a couple times. That's why you're such a good uh, radio? Guy, <laughs> well, you know? I'm not sure everybody would agree with that, but I'll take it. You're listening to Katie and K's public affairs program for land's sake, and today we have Gabe Chinowith with us, uh, who's a radio personality with KMTS. So um, we share quite a few things together, and I thought it'd be great to have him come in to do the show, because we haven't talked to any radio personalities on the show yet, and uh, his connection to the land that we all love is pretty amazing. Um, there's got to be some crazy stories, uh, like you mentioned before, of things that have happened to you on the air. Um, so have a way at, uh, at at telling us what some of those that stick in your mind oh, that have happened to you. That happened on the air? Or that you even had to get on the air and talk about some emergency or something. Well, I mean, that's kind of on a daily basis. You know, before we came on, you and I were, were joking a little bit. Um, so you asked me, you know, what my other interests were. Um, for a while, I, I explored a little bit uh, police work. And um, for whatever reason, it, it just – honestly, I'm probably way too much of a softy to do anything like that. Um, and, well, I mean, having said that, I know so many great police officers, uh, you know, small community, you pretty much know everybody. Um, but I, I, I like to say that, you know, radio in some ways is a little similar to, and I'm not saying anything about putting our lives on the line or anything like that, but it can be long periods of boredom followed by moments of sheer terror. <laughs> okay. You know, so what I'm talking about is a fire, I suppose, specifically. You're so focused and anxious and you're trying to get word out to people and you know everybody is listening to you looking for some kind of direction, right? Right. Some kind of what's going on, where is the fire, I forget the uh, uh, basalt police chief um, right after uh, Lake Christine, and he was explaining to folks, he said, you know, fires are kind of the opposite of the rearview mirror. You know, it's, it seems closer than it really is with the smoke and everything. And, uh, again, people see smoke going up into the air, and they immediately want to know. Right. And And we don't always know. You know, we work, as you know, Bill, so closely with public information officers like, you know, Jenny Cutright and um, um, uh, Dave uh, Boyd, Dave at, uh, Boyd for, yeah. now at Forest yeah. Service. Right. Um, and and I probably shouldn't have mentioned any names because now the old brain is locking up. <laughs> but we work so closely, and sometimes there's so much going on that those public information officers, whose job it is to interface with us, they don't know, right. you know, and so you know a lot of times, obviously you try and temper trying to get the word out with trying to make sure that it's accurate that you're not scaring people unintentionally, you know right um so that's probably i mean radio is i mean let's be honest, it's pretty much a low stress job, but if we're going to talk about those moments when you're you're hands are really clenched and and it's you know that would be the most stressful that I deal with is is when something like that happens 
Um, I mean, you know, on a daily basis, almost we talk about accidents and that kind of thing. And uh, I mean, that can be because sometimes, you know, people will call and they'll share maybe more detail than you really want to know. Um, but you always hope everybody comes out okay, and you know you kind of put yourself in those shoes because let's face it, we drive these roads every day. We've been on those roads when they were slick, or exactly. when there's a, a backup all the way from Newcastle to Glenwood, or from yep. Carbondale to Glenwood, or yep. <laughs> fill in the blank. And you know the the thing that I learned is when you have a, a real disaster, a, a real crisis, there's only three things the public wants to know. Yep. One is what happened. Yep. Second one is what are you doing about it? Yep. And three, how does it affect me? Yep. And that's what you have to concentrate on. And you don't blame them because you want to know the same thing when you're home, and you see the smoke. You mm-hmm. know, you want to you mm-hmm. want to know exactly what the public wants to know. So, if you could remember that <clears throat> as a public affairs officer, you you you're in good shape. I really appreciate you saying that, and I think that you know it's interesting. There have been a small number of times that a, a PIO has come in, for a public information officer, has has come into the area, and they were new, and they weren't kind of familiar with the area. And the first few times you interface with them, you can I can tell, you know, they're, they're thinking that I'm looking for, I'm looking for the gotcha moment, you know. And it's, it's, it's so funny. Every time after a couple of years, you work with somebody and they realize, oh, you're really on the same page. You know, we're just trying exactly what you said, Bill. Answer those three questions. That's really all people care about. I mean, yep. sure, down the road, you know, if there's – and, I mean, let's face it, in this day and age, most of us are, are um, practicing access journalism, right? You know, you, you, you've had – um, you tell the story that you're told, basically. Um, but uh, it makes it so much easier when the when the public information officer understands, you know, we're not going for that now. Yeah, we can reconcile things later. Right now, we want to make sure everybody's safe. If anybody is in harm's way, we need to, you know, give them some kind of plan of action. Yep. yep. Not that I have any opinion on this. <laughs> well, you, you've been, it's not your first rodeo, we'll say that mm. for sure. I still feel like, you know, they always say doctors, you know, call it practicing, you know. Practicing I medicine. still feel like every day when I'm, well, I'm really never done with work, but every day it's like, you know, I really could have done that better. Or you know, there's always something, always things to improve. Well, if you really care about what you do, then that's that's the case. You do always mm-hmm. want to improve, and Fair enough. and uh, so yeah, that's that's a, always a good attitude to have. In your opinion, what future does radio have? You know, that's really interesting. Um, technology continues. Obviously, you know, folks are developing technology. There's always something new. And there always has been something new. You know, we're a hundred years of uh, broadcast radio, right? And technology has always uh, continued after that. You know, we had the advent of television, color television, stereo television, Um, you know, MTV, you know, video killed the radio star, right? I um 
I feel like there will always be a place for broadcast radio because particularly in, you know, I don't know how many trade publications uh, you read, and, and it's not really your area. Uh, over the last six months or so, there's been all kinds of um, debate in Congress over AM radio in vehicles. The argument is it is the the most rudimentary form of communication, mass communication that's available, the one-to-many communication. And so the argument is, in those emergency situations, how are we going to get the word out to the most people? And I know everybody's thinking, well, what about the wireless emergency alerts, right? We just had a national test back in uh, October, so everybody's phone should have gone off. Right. And yet, that is still all, for lack of a better term, grid-tied, Right. Yep, exactly. Whereas broadcast, a lot of us, I, I know KDNK does, I know we do. Uh, there's, uh, I think, one other commercial station in the area that has, you know, backup power and so can stay on the air in a situation if, if something um, dramatic happens. You know, and I'm not necessarily just talking about wildfire, though certainly that is the, the disaster that we most frequently talk about in this area, but. You look at the world stage, and you just don't know. And so I feel like anything that is not tied to the Internet or some kind of uh, public switch or router is always a, a good thing and that makes sense trying to keep around. I would agree with you, but then I'm prejudiced. Well... <laughs> No, ask me, ask me about commercial versus non-commercial. Okay. No, I'm joking. Don't ask me about okay. that. <laughs> there's, a, there's a place for both. I mean, think about the number of people that are involved in KDNK and That's have been true. for 40 years now, right? Yep, exactly. More than 40 years, I think, actually. It was like 81, wasn't it? Anyway. Um, don't, don't ask me about dates. I'm, I'm uh, supposed to be a historian, and I I hate dates because enough. I can never remember them. Anyway, think about the impact in the community, and 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 I feel like there's a, there's a place for us too. You know, I I mean, I complain about you know we don't get public money, and and you know we have to sell advertising in order to to stay in business. But I feel like there's really a place for all of us. The one thing that I disagree with some on. I disagree that a radio station that plays just music is serving the community. Okay. I don't feel like that's in the public interest. I feel like that's a way to meet a bottom line mm -hmm. by having the fewest number of employees possible. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's how I feel. In the time we have left, what would you like to leave with our listeners who might be interested in a career in radio? You got started when you were 16. I did. Uh, I, before that, actually. So here's another story. First time I was on the air was actually KDNK. Okay, there we go. See, there's a connection. <laughs> <laughs> um, I believe it was Wednesday night, and there was a guest DJ thing. And I think it was like two hours, 630 to 830 on a Wednesday night. And so I got to come in, I got to talk, and I got to pick the music. But 
whoever else was here actually, you know, ran ran everything. Um, and a year or so shortly after that, I met a guy named Bob Dundas who worked for uh, one of the um, one of the smaller Carbondale paper or one of the smaller papers that was in Carbondale. Um, not not one of the new the ones that's still around like the Crystal Valley Echo or the uh, Sopra Sun, um, but Valley Journal was that it? You think? Yes, yes, okay. yeah. He worked for the Valley Journal. Thank you. And he had a Saturday morning thing, and he uh, would let me fill in for him when he was gone. And so I did that maybe two or three times. And so you know, this is when the Katie and K was at the top floor of the Dinkle Building. Yep. So you know, pull up front. I forget how early. Eight o'clock, I think, and bring in you know, like five or six boxes of uh, records and at least that many CDs and you know, that was uh, that was my my first experience on radio and then so that would have been like eighty six, eighty seven, and then nineteen eighty eight. Since then, I've worked for KMTS. And you know, kids here at KD and K have a chance to be DJs, and mm-hmm. that's really cool. With uh, mm-hmm. Beth does a great job with it. Uh, um, all of a sudden, a name has helped me out here. CRMS or uh, no. Roaring Fork? Nope. Uh, Andy Zinka Youth Empowerment Program. Oh, right. Yeah, sure. Of course. Yeah. So yeah. that that's one place that local kids can get involved in radio. And, you know, in this day and age, anybody can really do what you do and what, I, what we're doing right here uh, by starting a podcast. That's true. You know, um, in the speaking of trade publications, that's been a big talk over the last couple of years. During uh, 2020, the number of uh, podcast listens has exploded. So many uh, broadcasters, actual like broadcasters like like us, uh, that have started podcasts. So that's it. You know, you, you pick a topic, you loosely stay with it, kind of like we did today. I'm sorry, that's mostly my fault. It's kind of no, what no, I do, okay. as that's you know. Okay, that's why I wanted you here to give us give us a good. <laughs> A good talking to, you know? <laughs> good talking to. <laughs> like I said, you can't shut me up once you get me started. <laughs> uh, so, you have a you're the station manager and part owner, aren't you, of, uh-huh. of, of uh-huh. KMTS? Mm-hmm. So, um, Bill Dunaway is the reason why we're uh, why we started, and uh, owner of the Aspen Times and. When he decided he was leaving, he gave the employees at the time shares of stock. Oh, cool. So that's yeah. how you got started. That's how I, yeah. Well, kind of sort of. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure, Gabe. I'm glad you uh, agreed to, to this interview today. It's been fun, and uh, I appreciate you being here with us. You've been listening to Katie and Kay's For Landsake Program. <laughs>